the meetings and um and and you uh there's a whole menu of all of what's available um our reading today is coming from page 450 in the big book um and and this is where we relate to um a story called he lived only to drink uh i'm reading pages 450 and 451. the people at the meetings gathered around me in in kindness in those early days and i did not drink but the spiritual demons of withdrawal descended on me i was black and these people were white what did they know about suffering what could they tell me i was black and bright and the world had constantly rejected me for it i hated this world its people and its punishing god yet i believe the people in aa were sincere and whatever they believed in was working for them i just did not believe that aa would work for me as a black drunk i genuinely believed uh, that i was different until much later when i had what i now know to be my first spiritual awakening that i was an alcoholic and i didn't have to drink yeehaw i also learned that alcoholism as an equal opportunity i learned that alcoholism as an e equal opportunity illness does not discriminate is not restricted to race creed or geography at least i was relaxed from the bondage of my at last i was released from the bondage of my uniqueness in early days in early sobriety i had to continue to live in a flop house filled with active drunks not drinking i believed i became acutely aware of my surroundings the feel smells the noise the hostility and physical danger my resentments mounted at the realization that i had flushed a career down the drain disgraced and uh alienated my family and had been relegated to the meanest of institutions a skid row shelter but i was also able to realize that this bonfire of resentment and rage was beckoning me to pick up a drink and plunge into my death then i realized i had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life no matter what happened or didn't happen i couldn't drink 
In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. And I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must live a life of its own. More important, I came to believe that I cannot do this alone. From childhood, despite the love I experienced, I had never let people, even those closest to me, inside my life. All my life, I had lived the deepest of lies, not sharing with anyone my true thoughts and feelings. I thought I had a direct line to God, and I built a wall of distrust around myself. In AA, I faced the pervasive we of the 12 steps and gradually realized that I can separate and protect my sobriety from outside hazards only in as much as I rely on the sobriety sober experience of other AA members and share their journey through the steps to recovery. The rewards of sobriety are beautiful and as progressive as the disease they counteract. Certainly among these rewards for me are release from the prison of uniqueness and the realization that participation in the AA way of life is a blessing and a privilege beyond estimate. A blessing to live a life free from pain, from the pain and degradation of drinking and filled with the joy of useful sober living and a privilege to grow in sobriety one day at a time and bring the message of hope as it was brought to me. There you go, Paul. Wow. <laughs> That's like an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I hadn't, I don't think, I have a different edition of the book, so I don't have that story in it, but, the thing that the guy shared at this meeting was this idea of being freed from the, this, the, the bondage of uniqueness. So that's what sort of captured my attention at that meeting uh, for a Paul alcoholic. Hey, hello everyone. Because uh, this, this sense of uniqueness is definitely one of the pronounced characteristics of of self-centeredness and then amplified with alcoholism. Yes, for sure. And so I remember when I came in, I had a very thick shell of terminal uniqueness and I just thought all my thoughts were mine alone. They were very unique. My feelings were incredibly unique. No one else had them. People had never done or seen what I had done and seen. And uh, that terminal uniqueness is a part of the bondage of self, really. It was killing me. So after a few months of listening to people in AA, I came to a couple con conclusions. Either 
first of all, how did these people get my thoughts and my feelings and shit? And then I realized they can't be mine. Yeah. And that was one of the first, <clears throat> first cracks in the egg or the shell of uniqueness. <clears throat> and the solution of recovery truly is about the impersonalness and the commonality that we suffer from. The disease affects many, but everyone who's affected thinks they're unique. Yeah, this is part of the disease. So the disease affects many, but every one of those many will feel they're incredibly unique. This is the bondage of self. Yeah. So, uh, You know, just this turnaround of, you know, I'm an alcoholic or alcoholism has me. That kind of view, it, that shift is really relief. Yeah. When I see that I was taken over by something that, and see, even in that, I didn't read, I didn't read it, but I was hearing it. The guy, of course, has tons of guilt and shame based on everything he thought he's done. There's no freaking exit in that. Yeah. You can make amends and do this shit, and then the guilt and shame will keep on following you for 30 years. Yeah, even though you've done all the amends that you could possibly do, you never let off the hook as the doer. You're not, because the doer has you, the idea of being the doer, you did that shit. Yeah, no matter if you hear someone say, hey, you were taken over by or dancing with a gorilla or shit like that, on some level of programming, you believe you did it, yeah? And in that belief of you did it, tons of stuff follow you. The door, you know, you don't shut the door on the past, but man, a lot of shit comes with you, yeah? A lot of it. And I see people sitting there at meetings and they're just paralyzed by guilt and shame based on shit that happened 40 years ago, yeah? Where's the freedom there? So this idea, at least the first big shift, a number of the shifts, but one of them was when I got caught uh, by, uh, by an amend. Yeah, I was just busy, you know, doing what I was doing, newly sober, riding motorcycles. So I was out there with my a friend, with his girlfriend and I had a girl that I hoped was going to be my girlfriend in the back. And we went over to his apartment in San Francisco. And as we were going up the stairs to his place, some lady came down and she had paint all over her blue jeans. And my friend just said hello. And then we went up and then he forgot something in his bike. at his. So he went down, came back up and he says, hey, my neighbor wants to talk with you. And I, I thought he told her he, I was a house painter and stuff. So I'm sitting there trying to impress this girl. He's with his girl in the living room. And then the neighbor comes in and goes, hello, Paul, do you remember me? And I said, no. And she says, you owe me $500. So I had, had an apartment in a town south of San Francisco. And when I got new, uh, which were many new people to move in, they would always have to put a down payment. I would take that down payment. It wouldn't go to the landlord. I just used it, spent it. So once again, I had done this. And so this lady had changed a little. She got a little more weight on her. So I didn't recognize her. But as soon as she said that, 
the, in the past, I would have just, you know, like uh, dried up like a raisin. I totally, you know, probably want to move out of state if I could. And yet, because I had realized or I took the idea that it was a disease that I suffered from, that it was a disease that I suffered from, and that that disease had promoted a lot of behavior through me that I didn't really have much volition over. Yeah, I got it. That had, that had sinked in in this eight months of being sober. Yeah, I realized it. So when she said that, I didn't have a feeling of guilt and shame. I basically said, you know, what I did to you, I would have done to anyone unless you could physically stop me, really. And so, and I said, and I made an amend right there, and I said, I'm going to pay you back. And then she moved to LA. So I would send her checks, and every check I'd have a little note on it. The only reason why you're seeing this money is I'm in recovery, basically, because that was the fact. And then she started calling me for advice down the road. So this idea of uniqueness is basically one of the big links in the chain of the bondage of self, obviously. If you think you're unique, how are you going to see the common solution? Yeah, you're going to want to have a solution tailored to your uniqueness. That's what doesn't work. I remember I was got involved very long story with this uh, a French headhunter who had listened to the talks, got in touch with me. There was a project happening in Thailand. They were building a very high-end rehab, and uh, and they wanted me to be like the program director, something like that. I said, I'm not going to direct anyone's program, that's for sure, but I'll talk to you. So I got, I did Zooms with these people and they were asking me what I would suggest and I emphasized service. And I was talking to them about service and they said, oh, so what you want us to do is tailor a service for each client. And I said, no, put the client into the service. Do not tailor the service into the client, around the client. Yes, because of the money, they figured they have to tailor the program to fit the client because they're paying $30,000. But how this works is you get fitted into the program. That's what happens. You submit to be changed. So this emphasis of uniqueness and specialness is part of the disease, obviously. Yeah. How are you going to seek help from another if you don't think they understand you? Yeah. I used to have that with people. My mother knew I was going south and her her brother, my uncle and these other adults in our family, you know, would send me letters about marijuana and shit like that. And then they talked with me. And when they were talking, I didn't listen to the word they said. I didn't want what they had. I felt I was completely unique. And so basically I, w I had an I had an incredible defense of hearing anything from anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, this sense of uniqueness isn't alcoholism. Alcoholism amplifies it. It's self-centeredness. Yeah, obviously. The real disease or the real, what allows the disease to find a home is self-centeredness. Yeah. 
alcoholism sort of attaches to that and then amplifies it. And it doesn't amplify all of the possible qualities. It, it amplifies most of the contracting qualities like resentment, vindictiveness, thinking you're right, sense of entitlement, all this stuff, yes? And it gets so amplified and the rationale to keep it going, it needs fucking, it needs something. And that's that fuel of alcohol and drugs. And though, therefore, you're taking over and you're compelled to go get what it needs to continue this little story. Yeah, all the while thinking it's you all the time. Yeah. I mean, how basic is that? How basic? If we miss that in the diagnosis, we're missing a huge aspect of what's happening. Yeah. You can't go in to a resent the inventory with my resentments, my fears, and my harms done to others, and hopefully leave with hearing that they may not be your fears and your resentments. They may be resentments and fears, yeah? That are manifestations of self in one's life. They're not yours. Yeah, they're having you. You're not having them. Who the hell would have fear all day, yeah? Who would choose that on the menu list? I don't want to, be, not even fear, it's past fear, it's mental anxiety, completely going off. Who would put up with this shit? Oh, oh, you know, yet the story of you as the doer and the thinker and the one holds, it just keeps bonding itself. It keeps applying the glue because it's ridiculous. If you take one look at it, were you taken over by alcoholism or aren't you? It wasn't, oh, I had a little sniffle that day. You were fucking on the Bowery. It's way past the point that, oh, I'm having a, I have a little cold today. You didn't have alcoholism. It had you. It had me. And the way it feels to be had by alcoholism, we relate to. I relate to you because you were taken over by the same thing that I was taken over by. Can we see that? Can't we see the huge fleet of Fords gets driven to the same three parking spaces, institution, jails, and death, because there's one driver in all the Fords. It's called alcoholism. Yeah, actually, it's called self-centeredness to me, the bondage of self. So this is what we're just presenting here from one member to other members, yes? I don't want to be right about this. I want it to be right for you, so you travel lighter, yeah? I would, who wants to be right about an equation that can't be applied, yeah? I wanna see results, and I've had, uh, I've had stabilized results from entertaining these ideas concerning what ails me, yeah? And I have a, pretty much a daily reprieve to the point where the problem doesn't exist for me today. That's a damn good solution. Yeah. Hmm. So, yes, the uniqueness. <sighs> Look at our community. When do people go out usually? Fourth step and ninth step. Yeah. Why the fourth step? Maybe from this view, it would be cause the parasite of alcoholism does not want you to look at your role in things because you're going to see its role in things. It's just that simple. Yes.
and step nine also. The parasite doesn't want you to be free from the past. It thrives on your bondage to the past. Yeah, that how, that's how it bonds you now, presenting you as the past doer of those things. It doesn't allow any growth because you're just frozen by what you think you did 25, 30, one hour ago, six months ago. All premised on this idea that you're the doer of it all. Yeah, are you? Can you tell me that I chose to get on all fours to look for cocaine in a rug? Give me a freaking break. So, yeah, this is important to get the diagnosis clear, or you'll be applying a lot of ointments that have nothing to do with what's problem, what's the problem is, yeah? And what's saying it's putting on the ointments is the problem in a way. You're identified as this idea of Paul. Paul wants to get out of self. Paul doesn't know that it is self. So self can't get out of self explains Paul's failures of escaping from self because it isn't Paul that's escaping from self, it's self that's escaping from self, which is being in self. You're wanting to get out is the biggest in of all. Yeah, you see it in spiritual seeking and shit. People are trying to get out of themselves all day. They'll try anything. They'll pay $60,000 to go on a retreat and end up dying from a heart attack because they went into a sweat that they, their body couldn't take. But their whole intention going to those retreats was to get free. Yeah, maybe they did, they died, but for 60,000 bucks. It's insane, yes? I mean, who really wants to see Die Hard 12? Die Hard 1 through 11 sucked. What do you expect it's going to be? But because we're so freaking driven to get out of how we're feeling or where we think we are, we're constantly agitated, yeah? That's bondage. Yeah. So you can see the problem from the solution, you can. And then you'll, pre you'll have a very, very clear, detailed account of the problem because you won't be in it anymore. You'll see it from relief, yeah? That's the greatest vision of the problem is relief. Relief from it, yeah? Relief from the bondage of self. What does that look like? You can describe it, but it's much better to find out for yourself, really. It really is. So, yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Mickey. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Um, I see I a hand. I'm going to get an audio book of AA and I'll, it'll be in your voice, Mickey. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll just get all the stories and when I'm driving to where, who knows, I'll just be listening to you. Yes. Here's a small reading three hours later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you thanks sometimes thank you. we have a disease of on and on don't we <laughs> <laughs> i was braced for it 
I was comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like when someone says, hey, Paul, you have a minute? Certain people, I get ready, sit down, because I know it's going to be a lot longer than a minute. Honey, <laughs> 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 you're great. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. Um, Sky has her hand up. Oh, Sky is revisiting us. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I need to be back more often. That was amazing. I can't believe that um, you answered the questions uh, to my guilty conscience last night that were unresolved until this morning by what you shared. Like just the, there's no coincidences. So it's really no surprise, but um, I just wanted to like extend that and say that because of you saying that it's the bondage of self that makes like, basically I want because of my disease, the program to fit me. Like, for example, I have like some amends that I want to get off my chest, but I'm not on step nine yet, but I will be soon. And so that was like my question, like, a couple things just came to my mind last night. Like I need to make amends to these people, you know? And I wrote in my notes, like maybe wait till you get to step nine. And so now it just confirms it because the program doesn't fit to me. I fit to the program. And yeah. I felt that feeling of unreadiness, you know? And I heard that I was like, okay, this is unreadiness. This is what it feels like. And so now, like, I'm not unique with having had these, like, big amends that, like, hurt my heart that it happened. All of us have that are in AA, like, pretty much, or a lot of us. And so, like, I'm not unique, so I can just let it go, remember it, take note until I get there. So thank you for answering sure. my question already. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Very nice to see you, honey. Yeah. You too. <laughs> I had that. I had an experience that I, uh, the first amend I wanted to make was really, I just wanted relief <laughs> from the guilt that I felt concerning this person. So I got in touch with someone who I had, had been running with for a while before I got sober. And, uh, you know, I wanted her to say something nice to me so I could feel a little better about myself. So I found out where she worked and called up the place and she came to the phone. She heard my voice and she says, I never want to hear your voice again this lifetime. And so uh, I've lived that amend, but that wasn't what I was looking for because I was looking for it like a drink or a shot. I just wanted relief. Yeah. I didn't have this sense of an amend, meaning the willingness to change the behavior that you exhibited concerning this person so that you won't at least intentionally do it again to anyone else. I had no idea about that. I just wanted relief like usual. And so I thought I'd get it from her. Thank God she, uh, I got a nice Zen bitch slap, so to speak there. And I realized that, yes, I'm on the step one. I'm not at step nine. Yeah. And then the steps obviously produce conditions that are uh, beneficial for the next step. 
yeah you move and there's a it's a linear process of something that was done being undone sufficiently enough that you can live daily free from that obsession with drink so yeah yeah that uh i've learned uh, some of the stuff you know there's the easier way you you hear other people talk about it or you read it in a book but a lot of times i have to get slapped myself so i did and uh i learned which was great so yeah this whole thing is uh you know, there's a lot of advice that can be given. We're trying to just present a diagnosis of the root of the problem, which is the act of being identified as self. That's, uh, I wasn't hearing that in, in the meetings. So I think this is the contribution that we're trying to give to our community is maybe check out, you know, page 64, being convinced self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. I don't know. I read it in one way. That's, that's clear to me. I don't know how you'll read it, but I feel like it's a very good direction for an inventory process uh, intended to look at how self has defeated us, not how we have defeated us. Yeah. And I think if we keep doing inventories, of how we defeat us, there'll be more defeats. <laughs> if you can do an inventory on the foreign activity, let's call it that, or a parasitical movement, there's a, another possibility comes up, which is I can be free from it because now the difference between me and it has been established. I've checked it out. I did an inventory. I saw its patterns, at least some of the common ones. And now, right now, there's some light into the system, and more will be revealed. Yeah. And when more is revealed, I bring that shit up to six and seven, and there's a huge recycling of what was called Paul's life into a, a life. Yeah. And uh, I find it's beneficial for for uh, both ends, me and others. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I don't see it. I just, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it just seems like we keep uh, claiming the manifestations of selves ours, our, as ours. Yeah. And by doing that, we're bonded to this idea of self. And then obviously, in a lot of ways, we're not aware of the activity of that mental state is self trying to get out of self all day. Yeah. And we're very, and a lot of us are clueless. We don't recognize it. And if you don't recognize it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. It's usually influential not being recognized. When you start recognizing it, it loses its influence. Yeah. If you keep recognizing everything as it, from it, that reinforces its influence. So as you're trying to get out of it, you're actually more in it. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Um, Paul. Uh, oh, first, thank you, Sky, and thank you, Paul. Um, 
Helen had her hand up, but then she put it down. Let me see. She's put it down. Yes, she's good. Helen's good. Helen's got a new hairdo and stuff. She's looking very nice. Nice to see you, Helen. Thanks for dropping in. Yeah. Helen's an old. Uh, yep. I don't see anybody's hand up. You know, when you were talking about uniqueness, it came to me that uh, it was uniqueness that separated me. It, it seemed to uh, serve to separate me from you. It separated me from me. And then it separated me from source. And, um, and this freedom. Seemingly. seemingly. Right, right. Because it, there can be no separation, can there? No. You want no. to talk about that for a minute? Well, that's the point. Just look at the word seemingly. Check it out. One of the definitions. Is it the definition? Is it, it's appearing to be true or false to you. So basically, it sort of sounds like dreaming in a way. Yeah. So when you're in a dream, uh, that seeming tiger seems as real as possible. So you're super afraid and shit and you're trying to run away from it. Then you wake up and the running starts because you don't see the tiger as real. Yeah. So was the tiger real and now it isn't or was it seemingly real and now it's seemingly unreal? Yeah. Who's the what is everything depending on the tiger or you? Yeah, you're giving the meaning to the tiger that it's real and you're giving the meaning to the tiger that it's not real. Yeah, you're the most, you're the pivotal player, you, what we are, yeah? We're giving everything all the meaning it has as stated in another book called The Course in Miracles. So that's an incredible position, yeah? So everything is seemingly uh, what it is and it ain't to us, yeah? We're giving it the meaning, so we have that acronym with fear false evidence appearing real uh what's triggering the false evidence appear to appear real us yeah false evidence is pre is presented we take it not to be false yeah and then it appears real to us yeah but it's false evidence that's one and then there's an activity appearing real that's our activity. It's not the false evidence's activity to appear real. The false evidence is false evidence is false evidence is false evidence. It appears appears real based on us. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. False evidence does not appear real. False evidence is appearing real to us. So when the us changes, the false evidence may be seen as false evidence and it won't appear to be real anymore. That's the freedom from the bondage of self. One of many, many examples of it, yeah? You start seeing a lot of the shit that's being presented in the head as based on false evidence, <laughs> yeah? So you don't take it to heart and therefore it can't produce huge effects because it needs the 
the movie needs the audience's participation. Yeah. The head isn't playing outside, is it? You don't see thoughts on people's foreheads. The thoughts are playing to the audience of us. Yeah. The thoughts are, the, are, are attempting to be used to convince us of something. Yeah. If they were something, what would they, why would they need to convince us of something? Yeah. But they are of false evidence. So they have to convince us to make it seem to appear real. That's us. Yeah. That's what the program is changing. It's not changing the false evidence. It's changing that. How does false evidence keep appearing real? That's where the that's where the program works on. It's not working on the false evidence. It's working on us. Yeah. So that we'll be able to see false evidence as false evidence and then it will not appear to be real to us. Yes. So I won't go out, run that guy off the road and shoot at him or something because I'll see, fuck, yeah, what my head's saying, that guy did it anyway, he did it and it was all about you. No, it wasn't. He's a fucking crazy driver. Yeah. Bye bye. Good luck. And then about three miles later, you see him pulled over by the cops. Yeah. Instead of being having an altercation and ending up in jail for five years. Yes. False evidence is not real. It appears to be real. To who? Don't you see that as an activity? Shit's presented, and then the audience either goes yay or nay. Yeah? If it goes yay, you're in the movie, up the ass of self. If it goes nay, you're in a movie, but it's directed by something other than self, by a higher power. Yeah. And after a while, when you're in AA, it's sort of like you can see a film and then after a while you can tell the director because they have a certain flavor, right? So you get different films, let's say by Christopher Nolan, but you can see it's by Christopher Nolan, this director, because he's got a quite good. So now you start having an intimacy of being in a film by the higher power. Yeah, you recognize the higher power in the movie now. Yeah. And you know, man, this movie's good. <laughs> because Christopher Nolan or Fincher or whoever you want, Tarantino, whoever, yeah, is directing it. Yes, yes. So let's say if you're in a, you're, you know, this director did it the first 10 minutes. Yeah, like this happened to me once. I like the Cohen brothers who did Raising Arizona and Fargo and stuff. Yeah, so I went to see this movie uh, with Lewin something. And we were, I was waiting, you know, and it sucked in the beginning to me. So I was waiting, all right, the, the Cohen brothers are gonna kick in where they're, you know, quirky sense of humor. It never did. <laughs> it just went. And it was seeming to me a bad Cohen movie. But you know what I mean? But I, I was trusting the process because I know what's directing it. Yes. I'm in good hands. I'm in a good fucking movie because the higher powers directing it. I know it's going to be a B slasher film if I'm directing it. <laughs> <laughs> or the, let's say you call it not me, but self. Yes. 
I can tell. So when I'm in a movie by self, I'm anxious because I know I'm going to get shot or killed or maybe go to jail, <laughs> shit like that. They told me I was going to be the star, but it usually sucks, you know? So, but when I'm in the movie of the higher power, I'm fucking, yeah, I can show my acting chops, so to speak. <laughs> I got some freedom. Yeah. And then you can actually truly be a unique activity. Yeah. You're more of an individual when you're not an individual, truly. Yeah. I feel so. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to tell me cocaine addicts are unique. I could see them five miles away. If I was in a club, I could, I knew who did a lot of drugs because I was doing a lot of drugs. It wasn't, they weren't unique whatsoever. They were a corporal in the cocaine army. Yeah, I could recognize it. But we're all walking around thinking, <laughs> or just like with fashion, people think these high rise jeans came just, someone just made them. They're from the 70s. They just recycle shit based on everyone thinking they're unique. We'll buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> I look so unique. I never dressed like my mom. Oh, mom shows me a picture from the 70s. Looks just like me. <laughs> so, yes. I'm sorry I went off, but uh, don't you see it really? False evidence there. False evidence is false evidence is false evidence. It doesn't ever change to be real. It appears to be real to us. Yeah. Us, us. Knowing that and knowing that self can't get out of self, submit yourself to the fucking program. Yeah, get changed. So that you'll have the eyes to see false evidence as false evidence instead of reacting so quickly you don't even know what happened because you didn't see there was taking something to be real. You just saw it as real. Yeah. You didn't even see the preamble that brought you to that consequential level. Yeah. You don't see it. We're, we're asleep, so to speak. Now you can have the eyes to see it. You can see the head presenting shit. Yeah and have an honest discernment hey that's crazy yeah if you don't have it now with yourself call up a sponsor and he'll say you're fucking crazy yeah and then you start learning how to recognize false evidence yeah And this we learn from uncovering and discovering and discarding in the action steps, right? Yes, sure. But we're not, see, we're not really uncovering and we're not discarding. We've submitted ourselves. And now there's an uncovering, discarding and whatever. Yes? For the this false evidence to be uncovered. See, yeah. This idea of you're doing it is one of the ideas that gets discarded. If that doesn't get discarded, yeah, you'll you'll be a master of discarding and you'll be you'll you're in the bondage of self. Yeah. Then everything continues to be mine, huh? Yes, exactly. So that that it says abandon self. That's not you. Yeah. 
a bit you with the idea that self is other then it makes sense i can abandon something that i'm not i mean we used to have beaters and then we we'd run into a tree and we would abandon the car just walk away they didn't have great records at dmv at that time we just abandon it walk right off down the street and fucking forget about the car we bought it like for 50 bucks yeah i could abandon it because i'm not the car yeah. Yeah. You cannot abandon self as self. You abandon self as other. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you're not what you think you are. Maybe the true diagnosis is you are a spiritual condition. Yeah. What needs to be discarded and diminished a little bit is the mental condition. It's a little oversized now. It's taken over, so to speak, and it doesn't know how to drive the car, yet it won't admit that. Yeah. Yeah. As it says, you know, admit to the innermost self. Yeah, the innermost, not self, to admit to the innermost that you're outmatched, you know. Yeah. Well, any anyone else, Mickey? I'm not seeing anybody. Oh yeah, here's Oliver. Oliver. Oliver um, from Berlin. Yes, I know Oliver. Hey Oliver. Hi. Um I don't have I don't really have a question. Uh I just you know wanted to say about um, you know, we all know how taking things personally can go a long, long way. And I guess since I'm in AA, I pretty much um, am aware of the connection between self-centeredness and, and that, right? But, you know, on listening to you uh, today, uh, to your share, you know, uh, it, it seems like this uniqueness, terminal uniqueness or sense of uniqueness part of self-centeredness sort of gives character and, and, and pathos to it, to the point that it's really mind boggling and, and I can, cannot distinct, you know, what's real uh, and what's not. And, you know, you know cannot distinct. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The real from, you know, what's not real, which is kind of, you know, great connection. I don't think I heard it before, you know, you know, because, you know, the sense of uniqueness seems to pro, uh, be the source of, you know, or the reason why I, when taking things personally, was able to moralize or idealize or demonize to that extent, you know, that it seemed really real. Right? Yeah. So, so thank you for that. And, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, you know, it comes with a lot of flavors. Yeah, yep. but you don't really have to be concerned with the flavors if you get to the meat of it. Yeah, 
because you'll see you'll start recognizing uh it's sort of fingerprints everywhere yeah yeah there's nothing right or wrong with it uh you know many people without knowing it are living from its interpretation and uh i rather live with its interpretation not from its interpretation so the head keeps presenting how it sees life and then and i'm seeing life yeah and the head keeps presenting how it sees life and i'm seeing life <laughs> and i've lost interest in the head's interpretation of life because i'm being i'm being busy seeing life <laughs> where before I wasn't seeing life. I was seeing life from the interpretation of life. Yeah. Now they're distinctly different. They're seeing living and then they're seeing the interpretation of living. Yeah. They're different, very different. One's a lot drier, needs a lot more reinforcement and obsession to continue on with its point. The other living is just uh, it's on a grand scale in in, even in the most minute little points. Yeah, so I think you'll get hooked on the one flavor, the living, other than the interpretation. And when you do, more gets revealed, yeah, about the interpretation, which allows more living to occur, yeah. There's not more living, there's living more, let's say. Yeah. And there's a progression in a way. There's that movement from trusting the finite self to the trusting the infinite. The one uh, consistent aspect is that faith. So the faith now gets broken in the finite self and now the faith is gently pointed through the program to the infinite yeah once it gets sucked into the gravitational field of the infinite far out yeah it may get radio blast from the uh finite but it won't be buying its fucking you know commercials <laughs> yeah yeah and so that spiritual condition is the daily reprieve Entering the orbit or the gravitational field of the higher power is the daily reprieve from the pull of the lower power. Yeah, because the faith, the the uh, the weight of faith is now leaning towards the infinite. Yeah, where before it was being shoved into the finite. Yes. And as it says on page 53 in the book. It's pretty cool. I'm going to read it. It says uh, on page 54, actually. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. The first paragraph of page 54, we agnostics. I'm going to read it for a second, the thing before. All right. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? Yes. Yeah. The kind of faith was in the finite self. That's the certain kind of faith that brought us to this condition 
of bondage of self was the faith in the finite. <laughs> That's without knowing it. We had been, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith, for did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? Yes. So when people say they don't have faith, that's faith. Yeah. There's faith that they don't have faith. You can't get before faith. Faith is before everything else. Yeah. Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful to the God of reason. So that which is playing God is in the mental condition. Yes. That's what he's talking about here, the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Faith in the interpretation, there's a huge faith in past and future when it concerns time. Faith in the infinite, you're attentive to right now. Those are, that's one of the zillion of differences between faith in the finite and faith in the infinite. Faith in the infinite is you're here now. <laughs> faith in the finite, you're absorbed in what's not happening. Yes, you know. Yeah. Talk about all you want about it being absorbed in what's not happening. What about talking about the faith that's allowing that to seem real? Yeah. The faith is in finite self that puts you in the the anxious yesterday and tomorrow syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell the truth. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You don't have to do anything about it. Just tell the truth of what you see. Bring it to step six and seven. Ask that higher power to reconfigure it or do something with it because you don't want the lower power to keep doing something with it because it's gonna it's going to prov- it's gonna provoke or imagine a bondage of self with it. Yeah. So basically, you see what's revealed when you start seeing what you're not. Bring the step six. Hey, I'm entirely ready to have this changed or reconfigured or. They say removed. I don't like the word remove. Yeah. And then I humbly ask that power to do it. And after you work that step, you'll see it works. So there'll be faith in it. Faith in it. Not in the finite self. Faith in it. Yeah. That's the mover. The move, what, what moves you in life is faith. It's simple as that. Yeah. And there can be, we're painting with a broad stroke out of the big book. There's seemingly two distinct options, faith in the finite self or faith in the infinite. There you go. Yeah. You're not going to move the faith from one to the other. You're just going to tell the truth about where the faith seems to be right now. Yeah. So when you tell the truth about the faith in the, the finite, that truth allows that faith to be moved to the infinite through the workings of the higher power, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, usually using the way of life called recovery. Yeah. I don't mean super defined steps and everything, just living in recovery. 
recovery from what? The bondage of self. So we're now recovering from that, and now we're healed by the faith in the infinite. Yes. I don't do it. I observe it happening. I observe that I've come to believe. I have observed that. I have. I've observed it. I've observed uh, the spirit of the third step. I've observed it in this life. Yeah. I feel it deep to my core. Can I explain it to people? Probably not, but I feel it. I feel that I was not and am not managerial quality. And something has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yeah. Those are sound things to build a life on. Not false evidence, obviously. (laughs) Your life is going to collapse with false evidence as the foundation. But I mean truth. You've come to a truth. You know, you've come to an understanding. You've come to it. You've been placed in a position of neutrality. Yeah? The problem does not exist for you anymore. Hallelujah. Those things are intimate sayings in my life. I feel them. I feel that's exactly what's happened. Yeah? As an observing, expressing activity called the action figure Paul. I have observed that that's something hugely has done for me what I could not do for myself. I can't every day, big and small. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So over and over and over again. It's not coming to believe. It's what you're believing in has the power. The belief in faith is an energy like gravity. It's here. It's where it is. What it's being put into, it's going to cause how it manifests. Yeah. So when the faith is in the infinite, you have an easing comfort now. When the faith is in the finite, you have huge anxiety about yesterday and tomorrow. It's the same energy, but how it how it manifests is completely by what it's put into. Yeah, if it's put into the vehicle of finite self, we know what that's like as alcoholics and addicts. When you put it into the vehicle of the infinite, yeah, it's revelatory. Yes, it's so wonderful you can't express it too well. And the the fun of expressing it is you try and try, but you really can't capture the gratitude and the wonder and the awe of this, of this, uh, yeah. Yeah. So faith is important, yes? Yeah. Hugely important. It's so important, you don't want your hands on it. You want to surrender its direction, yeah? By doing simple little things a day at a time. Yeah, you'll have the eyes to see false evidence and then they won't it won't be able to appear real. It needs you, yeah. It needs us. It's like the thoughts are caught in be- caught behind a membrane. They're trying to compel an action. They have to convince us to do something. Once we do something, then they're ink tattoos in that world, yeah? 
That flypaper may not be easy to get off of, but in fact, there has to be a compelling for that action to occur. The mental state is constantly presenting false evidence, hoping that it will trigger you to do something that you're gonna pay a consequence for, yeah? And therefore it's going to appear real to you. It's bondage. It's the activity of bondage to self. Yeah, yeah. There is a solution. All right, anyone else, Mickey? Sure, we have Steve here. And thank you, Oliver, and thanks, Paul. Uh, Steve, let's get you to come on in. Hey, Paul, I'm gonna turn the video off so the Wi-Fi doesn't crash. Yes, we know, um, we know you're, we know you're yeah, handicapped, yeah. Steve, we know, yes. Yeah, my, my Wi-Fi is handicapped, man. Yes. I, I just had a share on, on fear in terms of false evidence appearing real. I, I had a real good hit of it recently. Um, it was like something changed in the vision. Previously, it was like the fear would come up and it was like hooking a fish. It was like it would instantly transfer all the way down the line to the, this supposed fear that was a real thing somewhere in the world that I had to think about. And then something just changed around and now, now instead of instead of hooking into the fish with the fishing rod, it's just like I see the whole fishing rod. It just you don't have to. You, there's a there's a, there's an alert that goes off that makes me look at the fear itself. I don't travel all the way down the line instantly going away with the fear. It's like a, just a, a straight looking at the fear and questioning that itself. And uh, that's been it's been really terrific to see. Um, and just hold that fear as just questioning every single one of them, no matter how big they seem, just going, well, no, 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 I'm having a look at you. Um, so thanks for all your stuff on false evidence appearing real. It's been really helpful for me. Great, yes. There's nothing like seeing, you know, there's nothing like awareness to convince you. It's, it's very good, yeah. 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 Great, Steve. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Paul. That's all I see, Paul. You want to say your hellos? Yes. What time is it, Mickey? <clears throat> it's 11.35. All right. Yeah, that's fine then. Unless any, no more questions. Okay. So, Kerry, I'll be seeing you soon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I get this. Oh, Gina. Nice to see you, Gina. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. We got Mickey, the matriarch of Madeira. Yeah, again. Walter from the Netherlands. Nice to see you, Walter. We got Kelly. There she is. Nice to see you again, Kelly. PK from Long Island City. Wow, he's in the belly of the beast, truly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jess, nice to see you, Jess. Thanks for your share last week. 
we got a Helen. She's made a guest appearance. Uh, we've been, we're always happy to see Helen from North, North, North England, Northern England. Yes. You're looking good, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We got Sky. Yes, there she is. She comes, she, she, she flits in and, and out like a cloud, but he's, she's truly sky. Yes. There you go. Oliver, nice to see you again for Berlin. Thank you for your shares. Yep. Michael S. He's the man. Yeah. All right. No secret communications with Amelia about dog breeding. All right. Good. William. <laughs> William L. Nice to see you, William. Jono from the UK. Always a pleasure. Carl from Ireland. Nice to see you, Carl. We got Roman from Germany. Always a pleasure. Uh, uh, yes, we got Jason down in San, San Diego. Nice to see you, Jason. Kaiser. Celia. Oh, Celia. Nice guy. I was, I've been lucky to meet Celia many times in the past. Yes. Nice to see you. Chris down in from Lexington, Kentucky. We got Terry from Maine. Yes. Stefan on having never left. We can see Steve now. Steve, thank you for everything. Nina, did I say hello to Nina? There she is. There she is. She's <laughs> there. She's one of the backbones. We got Maria, some phones, a new, uh, there's a new here and Kimia. I'm sorry if I missed it. I can't see it's getting small, the screen. Senna, we got someone from Huntington Beach. Lucky her, it's nice. Uh, let's see, uh, I want to uh, tell you we're having a meeting today on another topic called non-duality at 4.30 Pacific time. It's on the website also. And um, we may have a shorter version of this meeting next Tuesday because we're leaving, we're going to Hawaii on Tuesday. I think we'll, we, it'll be on the website if we're gonna have it or not. Yeah, we'll have all the other ones, but maybe Tuesday next week, we won't have this one, but just look up. We'll have it down. I'll, we, I think I'm going to try to pull it off and then, yeah. So but just look on the website. And also we have that lovely trip to Italy. If you're interested in Amelia's put up a beautiful retreat. We're going to do hopefully in September and we're doing a retreat, which I swore I'd never do, but see how little I have to do with anything. Uh, we're going to do a retreat with a group in uh, Colorado in June, which sounds beautiful awakening together that's who i speak for today uh every tuesday for them it's a group uh located in colorado all right well yeah i think i made all the public announcements and uh thank you everyone thanks for coming and uh yes yeah Aloha. thanks paul Aloha. yeah thank, thank you. you paul thanks paul